Good evening, Colorado Battletech. Uh, you are listening to the Valhalla Club podcast. I'm your host, John the Caveman. Tonight, I'm joined by David Cerberus, Matt Northman, Mike the Viking, and our guest host, Rick Noise. Uh, we are having a special mid-month episode to cover the tournament that uh, we hosted up at Hobbytown Westminster on July 8th. We are going to go down into how the tournament went, what we brought, our overall impressions, um, and just little tips and insights um, from a few different perspectives. Uh, and hopefully you, the listener, can take away some lessons learned from us and avoid mistakes that we make. Uh, um, that being said, the tournament was held up at Hobbytown Westminster on the 8th. Uh, we ended up having 18 players, including myself. I, I jumped in to make sure there weren't going to be any buys. Uh, so really good turnout. Uh, we played four rounds of Swiss. The uh, rule system was Wolfnet Radio's uh, 350 system for Alpha Strike, um, which if you're not familiar, uh, has players competing 1v1 uh, with 200 PV on a 3x4 board, pretty much. Uh, you have an 80-minute round, and almost all of the scenarios are objective-based. So you're forced out of your comfort zone a little bit. You're not just out there to kill each other. You actually have to play the objective, or you're not going to take home the W. Um, this include the latest Alpha Strike errata? Yes, that is true. We did use the latest Alpha Strike errata. Um, and uh, Rick actually took the whole thing. He was our only undefeated player. Uh, I did okay. I got beat by Rick. David did okay. He got beat by Rick. And <laughs> there's a bit of a trend there, yeah. David, David in my game is uh, pretty, pretty weird because we had zero objective points each. We did. Yeah. It was like a fight on a short bus. It was a bit of a shit show. More of a slap fight. He ran and hid, then I ran and hid. It was, it was what, what it was. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and dive into the list we brought. Um, we'll probably go player by player, who we played against in rounds one through four. And then if we had any key takeaways or like pivotal moments, we'll, we'll dive into those. Uh, and then once we've gone over that, we'll probably zoom back a little bit and widen the scope um, to talk about the Wolfnet Radio's tournament system as a whole. Um, organizing... Uh, tournament events kind of as a whole briefly and then uh, some adaptations that i made for this tournament uh, namely modifying the setup and uh, initiative roles which we'll go into a little bit later um, rick you are our host and the reigning champ so if you would like you could lead us off what you brought who your opponents were and any takeaways i guess yeah sure um I brought a Merc list, and I really wanted to lean into the new tag and narc rules to see how those worked out. So I had uh, an Orion and an Archer, both had Stark, and then a Wolverine and a uh, Hankyu Arctic Cheetah, both had Tag, um, an Urban Mech Skill 2 with uh, Flak to shoot down VTOLs, and then an Urban Mech Skill 2 with uh, an Arrow 4 launcher, because why not put one of those on an Urban Mech? And then some LRM carriers of various types, um, some super cheesy skimmers, 
and the uh, king of the show, the uh, 16-point charger at skill five. Ooh. That charger is nasty. Uh, I remember Alex took it to LVO, and uh, you guys had him on, and he talked about it. And when we were playing Jihad, I just had to take the opportunity to try it out. So, um, And then, yeah, I played Ben K, which uh, not I was very surprised to find out that was not uh, Ben K of the Valhalla Club, some other local named Ben K. So I was standing around for about two minutes looking at this guy like, I don't think you're in the right place, man. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm Ben K. Uh, like, no, no, you're not. Uh, it turns out he was. You speak lies. <laughs> um, he was a real new player. So he, you know, that was a uh, kind of luck of the draw for me and kind of bad luck for him. But um, he brought some heavy stuff to, what was the first what was the first one we did? Was it uh, we played Overrun, Domination, Bunkers, and King of the Hill in that order? Yeah, so he had some slow stuff and uh, was able to push in and use the train um, to kind of isolate his Atlas and ignore it for most of the game, let it play with my Loki, and then everything else of mine shoot up his. Um, second game, I forget who I played, but I'll be uh, here in just a minute. You played. Charles. Oh, sorry, Charles. I did play Oof. Charles. Oof. <laughs> uh, and that one was, what did we call it? What did you say? You just told me. I believe round two was domination. Yeah. He, man, my dice were just so against me. Um, and we went, I think, to, we tied, we, I won by MOV, but uh, we both got two objective points at the very end. I stole one from him and forced him to defend another one. Uh, but I had two shots on his VTOLs early on with uh, skill two and skill three flak between the Orion and the urban mech. They both failed to hit. So many things failed to hit. Uh, all of my artillery failed to hit, and I barely clawed a MOV win with uh, a tie on uh, objective points. And then I played... David and uh, he's wall of tanks and I tried really hard to not let him get all his tanks uh, able to shoot the same target at the same time, which worked out pretty well. And um, we smacked each other a lot, but uh, no one took any objective points. None of us did even 15 damage to a bunker. You tried to like run your infantry in to uh, anti-mech my mechs instead of attacking the bunker because I had them pretty locked down. And then Dave was trying to charge from bunker to bunker uh, to do damage with his... With uh, Pegasus. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> I did nine damage with Pegasus running into bunker doors. <laughs> and uh, he was he was set up to, to take it. And then uh, we had one more round called um, and I was able to move my stuff forward and do enough damage to out damage him. Neither of us did 15 damage, but I did more, slightly more damage than, uh, Dave did. Yep. And then, um, yeah, I fought John and, uh, he, yeah, he just threw the game for me because he couldn't win his own tournament. That is correct. I did throw the final match. It was the only gentlemanly thing to do. Yeah, it was King of the Hill. Uh, I feel like you were, you were, uh, in a bad spot with your clan force, for King of the Hill. I had that super cheap charger that could just go in there and take the, the point. You had to kill some skimmers, which you did pretty easily, actually. And, uh, yeah, I killed your dasher pretty quickly. And then it was just a matter of 
beating you down with a charger. The charger charged his Thor to hit it for like five damage and then like punched your, I think you punched the Thor again in the back or something or punched uh, your Uller. I don't remember. I think it just Other killed your Uller outright. Damage to me. Yeah. He punched the summoner in the chest for five and then he just clean punched through the Uller's back for six damage, right? It's a rear. I think, I think I did uh, a charge to the Thor for five and then a punch to the Uller's back. Yeah. To yeah that was a it. lot of damage from a 16 PV model. Um, that was, it was rough. Yeah, it was, yeah. uh, it was dirty. Uh, in other news, I love chargers now. So my next list, uh, is going to take the super expensive charger, <laughs> the charger C. Yeah. At skill three, it's a hundred points. You should That's put in a special dirty. letter to the Wolfnet guys that you would like an exception to the double variance, just so you can take two charger C's at 200 points. Exactly. Oh, that'd be awesome. I tell you what, you want to bring two charger C's. I'll bring two Aries and we'll see who, uh, who wins the punching match? I think the Charger Seas might do it, man. They got uh, team they're, they're of three and six damage. Yeah. So does this mean you're gonna also get a Fenris J? Are you gonna find the list that has the Charger C and the Fenris J, and you're just go full bore? Do it, do Ooh, it. That would be nasty. It. But no, mine. Uh, mine's gonna be Ilklin, uh, uh Rosaldom, and uh, it's gonna have the Vulture Mark Three from. Uh, it's the MechWarrior Four. Oh, cool. Sculpt. Are you going to Gen Con? I'm not. Uh, I think that okay. one's. Not Ill Clan either. That one's Jihad too, I think. Yes, it is. Yes, Jihad. Um, okay, well, great. And that's I mean, why we can't talk about Charles or Ben's list. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's why they're not here. Yeah, no, you did great. And uh, did you have any, I guess, like uh, key takeaways from the tournament, uh, either in terms of certain games where it was like a pivotal moment or just the tournament overall? Things you liked, things you didn't like, etc. Yeah, um, I'm sure we're going to it more later, but I really liked your uh table setup rules and initiative stuff particularly the the preset terrain that made things way smoother for for me uh i didn't play on but two of the tables though so i had a home field advantage on both of my uh turn three and turn or round two and round four games so yeah yeah that was one thing that i definitely need to adjust is keeping track of player uh players and the tables they've played on because repetition is not fun but great, man. Um, so then, who, David, do you want to take the uh, next at bat here? Sure. So I brought a Davian clown car list. He did. And it was uh, two Pegasus unarmed hover tanks. And I took those because they have a CT of 12, so an IT of 6. And that IT of 6 was filled up with four foot platoons, two Fedcoms. And two regular foot platoons with flamers on everything. Uh, the rest of my list was uh, two Manticore LBXs, two Von Luckners, the VLN, VNL K100s, two Devastators, uh, a Hunchback 4P, a Blackjack 4, a Fireball 10D, and a Bushwhacker S2R. So basically, the mechs were just fillers for the tanks in every every game i played i had at least four tanks on the field and they were nasty uh the devastators and volunteers both threw a five at medium range so those four tanks were throwing 20 damage most of the day and they all have nine hit points uh in my first round i played against uh greg w and 
we were on table four and he i don't know that he had ever played against tanks and it was a bit of a it was a bit of a wipe uh, i ended up with three objective points and 200 mov uh, round two i played against brayden on the same table in that one it was a four objective points and 200 mov win Round three was against Rick, and as he said, we kind of just traded punches and then started trying to shoot at the bunkers, and he outdamaged me by, like, three. <laughs> I think he had, like, 11, and I had nine. I think we also Maybe. just called it once I got ahead of you. Yeah, once you got ahead of me, there was nothing I could do. It was like, well, crap. All right. We covered that in practice, Dave. <laughs> I know, and I actually mentioned the fact that that was why I immediately turned and started ramming Pegasuses into bunkers. Because I needed to do damage to the uh, to the bunkers. Uh, and then round four, which was King of the Hill, I played against uh, Rich B. And that was another just very lopsided fight. The tanks just rolled over everybody. Uh, and that ended up with uh, three objectives and 200 MOV. So, yeah, the tanks proved to be very effective. But they did come with the downside of being very slow. Uh, I think the best, most fun game was, well, fun for me, not so much fun for uh, uh, for Brayden, was game two. And I ran a fireball up into the center of the map. He ran a phantom, which was like a 60-point phantom. And I got a double 12s. And I headshot his phantom in the first shot of the game. And he, he in turn killed my fireball, but it was a 26 point to 66 point trade. And he only had three mechs. So it was a third of his list gone round one, first fire. That's so rough. Yeah. Shout out to Brady for taking that one. Yeah. The, the game kind of progresses. You would expect it from there. Uh, I just started rolling the tanks through and started taking the objectives and, I think his Zeus was the last, the last thing left on the field. But it was a fun game. Uh, I did like the uh, the map setups and the rolling for initiative and shoot picking the side because we didn't have to set up the tables was pretty cool. So props to you, John, for for coming up with that idea. Yeah, we're gonna talk more about that in depth later because uh, it, it was kind of an improvisation that I made, but. It wasn't quite perfect with pros and cons to it. And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more in detail later. Um, but thank you. You were the war criminal, weren't you, Dave? I was what? The war criminal. Uh, f- oh, yeah, because I had the uh, top MOV for the day. Yeah, so I killed, killed stuff. 643 MOV for the whole day. Would have been higher. Murderer. Would have been higher if uh, I hadn't had to play Rick. <laughs> if you didn't run away from Rick? Well, the problem that Rick w- had already played my list. So Rick knew yeah. how to fight my list. I, I knew I had to break up his tanks. Um, last time I played it, I didn't bring artillery, and he just rolled eight tanks down my throat, if we're going with John's uh, analogies. Yes. Down the we, throat. I think I, I used the word. Uh, it, it did not go well for Rick the first but, time. But otherwise, that sounds like an expression I'd use. Sure. Yeah. So I brought I brought my artillery this time to try to break him up. And also on turn one, I fainted with my Arctic Cheetah, and drew two of his really slow tanks off to a side where they're kind of out of the fight for the rest of the game. Um, and I think that more than anything, but they did have the bunker the covered. They did have the bunker covered. They were doing that, but they were not shooting, which, you know, no. you got to kill shit. 
That is true. And, and I also was trying to keep everything two inches apart so that the artillery would only hit one tank at any any time. Yeah. And, you know, if you hadn't sent something over there to deal with that Articita, I would have rushed into your bunker. So you're kind of screwed either way. I do yep. want to clarify, a Pegasus rams for three damage, Dave. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what is the roll to hit when charging an immobile object? It was really easy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I think it was like a three or four up he was hitting it on. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was dumb. Because um, I was skill seven. I think I had I think I had to hit I think I had to roll fives. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You're letting eight year olds drive hover tanks packed full of infantry. Well, I just described them as the guy from uh the guy from Mad Max Fury Road yelling, Witness me, spraying himself mm-hmm. in the face with silver spray paint and driving into a door. To be fair, they weren't full of uh, infantry for very long. No, that went horribly. Rick stomped on all of my infantry. Ooh. Yep. Charger squished some. The Loki D uh, cooked a few. I think the Archer punched some in the face. Yep. Yeah, and I pol- Once the infantry were gone, it was pretty over. Apologize for my wife's spastic cat just running around the house screaming right now. Um, it's not going to get better, and it's likely to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my wife's cat. She'll just howl. No. Do you want to dog ear that? Because that is um, the infantry change is one thing that came with the errata. And I believe we mm-hmm. all took infantry. So I do want to talk about that a little later. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and clear uh, what I brought. Uh, I'll be the last player host, I guess. Um, I had a pretty... I tried to be thematic with my Jade Falcons. Uh, I did have a Fedcom list, but I forgot my minis. So I had to break my own contract that I have with Ben because I suck. Uh, Air quote, forgot. Yeah, forgot. Yeah, I just conveniently forget my Fedcom. One time I forgot them on the side of the highway, but they still ended up in my house again, like a curse. Yeah, um, home. yeah, yeah like Chucky. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I tried to keep a thematic uh, Jade Falcon list. So I had a Cougar, Dasher, Dragonfly, Loki, Warhawk, Thor, Kit Fox, Vulture, and a pair of elementals. Um, it's one of the few times where I haven't like decreased skill. So the lowest skill was uh, four, and most were skill three. I was really trying to, I don't know, abide by the intention of what the clans are. Um, that being said, there's some dead weight. I never used a cougar in any of my games. I was t- telling Rick that. Um, game one, I played against Ben Bourbon, uh, our co-host. Uh, ben and I play a lot up at Hobbytown, so we were both like, damn it. Like, can we re-roll the pairings? Um, we had a really close game of Overrun. Um, and I think, Dave, it was an MOV tiebreak, and the MOV differential was less than 10. Uh, yeah, your MOV differential was 6. <laughs> so an extremely, extremely close game where um, I held Ben's home zone and he held the two neutral zones. Um, but we both killed over half of, uh, each other's lists. So it was just a really close thing. Um, I took a mix of speed and battle line and, um, he was kind of messing around with some IF stuff. So it was a fun, it was a challenging game. Uh, game two, I played against Ben K. So the other Ben K. <laughs> um, and that was domination. And I had a really big advent in speed uh, against his list. Uh, so I, I would say he was probably going as an uphill battle for him. 
And I think I ended up closing it out probably like turn four or something like that by claiming four to zones. Uh, round three, I went against the defending champ, uh, Jack. He was taking uh, ghost bears. So we had a little clan on clan fight. Um, that was uh, bunkers. And um, I ended up being kind of like the beneficiary of some pretty high variance. Uh, I shot down his Balak in one turn of shooting, which is pretty exceptional. Um, and then the next turn I shot down his Viper and, you know, without his speed and without his TMM, uh, bunkers mm-hmm. is a pretty hard scenario to fight. Um, so I closed that one out. Uh, and then round four, I went against Rick and obviously lost. Uh, Rick had, I think an activation advantage against me. Um, and the artillery, it was pretty annoying. I think uh, we talked about it um, because turn one, I claimed the first point, right? I, uh, I sprinted a Viper onto the uh, King of the Hill zone and I shot down his two skimmers. And then in return, he nuked my Dasher H with artillery. And I think you halved my Viper. Um, and then turn two, that big old charger made it into the zone. And um, it was your charger and my Loki in the zone. And I had the option of either nuking the charger off or nuking the archer. And um, with the narc aboard and me having no ECM, I was more worried about you gaining more damage from that narc. Uh, But in retrospect, that was probably a mistake on my part. Um, When I had the summoner and the Loki and my kit fox all uh, within close range of the charger i think it was pretty easy you know to to nuke it off the board and that would have slowed you down on the uh objective point front so i think that was probably my big misplay and probably that turn three is where the game um was decided was by shooting the archer instead of the charger lost me the game um yeah i don't think you ever even killed the archer in the end Uh, i killed the archer not the charger okay uh yeah the I think I killed the Logie that same turn, yep. and then it was my charger in the point with your yep. Thor. Exactly. Uh, and then your Uller showed up. Yeah, definitely the Narc was not going to do a ton more damage. I think the Archer and the LRM carrier that I had sitting in the back, and the uh, Arctic Cheetah, I think I brought that on that um, game. I recall you having Artillery, Urban Mech, Double Skimmer, LRM Carrier, Archer, Wolverine, Charger. Yeah, that's right. I brought the because the Wolverine and the Arctic Cheetah are the same cost, and I brought the Wolverine yep. instead. Um, yeah, so it really would have the Narc would have only added like two damage to the entire list. Yeah, yeah. Between the Archer and the LRM Carrier. Yeah, so, so me not killing that Charger and then letting you catch up and then exceed me on the objective point front was was uh, a big mistake. Um, and I think the, the last turn of the game was my Viper against the world. <laughs> And yeah, I think I wiped you off the board as I was taking the third objective point, and so the wipe. Yeah, big four-one win in your favor. So it was a, it was a, oh, a beating. Yeah, well, that's what happens when a clan comes to King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah, but all the same, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, uh, I was happy to see Ben. I think that was Ben K's uh, first tournament, is what he told me. So that was cool, and um, yeah. So that was uh, our performances individually. Um, the tournament as a whole, uh, Rick won, as we said. Um, 
Second place went to Zach S. Coming over from Aurora. It was my first time meeting him. Really solid dude. Uh, third place uh, went to me, but I uh, that didn't much matter. Uh, and then fourth was uh, Jack. Um, and Dave, could you help me with the remainder of the top ten? Yeah. So I came in fifth. Charles came in sixth. Uh, Max G came in seventh. John M eight. Uh, Devin came in at ninth, and Greg W at tenth. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So overall, it was a lot of fun. Um, the I, I had a little concern with there being sixteen players or more with four rounds of Swiss that there was a potential for there being two undefeated players, but thankfully that didn't happen. The objective spread was pretty tight, actually. Um, so. My takeaway from that was that the games were pretty competitive. We didn't have a lot of blowouts, um, which is pretty rare. I feel like with the Wolfnet system, domination and King of the Hill especially produce like blowout wins. Um, but uh, it was a pretty uh, tight field, so I was really happy. Yeah, at the end of the at the end of the day, we had five players that went uh, three and one, and obviously Rick was the only one who went four and zero, oh, and then. Pretty much the next six players were 2-2, and then we had three players at uh, uh, 1-3, and then two players at 0-4. Okay. Yeah, and I think uh, there were even, yeah, there were three one players that had more objective points overall than I did. They just, yeah, got to go undefeated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, second through fourth all had more objective points than you did, Rick. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> Why did we invite you on? I mean, did you even earn it? <laughs> Come on. Well, if you hadn't thrown uh, thrown that last game for me, you know. yeah. <laughs> what um, do you guys think about playing in jihad? I really like the jihad era. Um, I'm not a big fan of clan invasion. I feel like clan invasion favors the clans. Um, but uh, usually, I advocate for fedcom civil war. But jihad is like taking fedcom and just making it a little bit crazier because then you have like C3, C3I, Blakus. Even I guess you could have society too, right? But like. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit more a lot insane experimental yeah, than Fedcom. Uh, I, I like was it. I was a hair's breadth away from bringing a society proto mech list. That's cool. Yeah, I was kind of surprised we didn't see more. Uh, word well, of second place went to word of. I word think of there were only two. two. Zach S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just never played them. Overall, did you guys see a lot of kind of the jihad era tech, or was that still not not as much, not as prevalent um, as it is in? Other I didn't. I didn't play against a single C3 list or, uh, heck, I didn't even play against anybody who had VTOLs. You played against my uh, Era 4 Irby. I'm pretty sure that's a Jihad. Yep. Uh, the story of the origins of the Era 4 Irby is hilarious and comes from uh, a Jihad Gen Con game. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I saw ECM, I saw VTOLs, I saw C3, I saw NARC, so I kind of got a little bit of taste of the whole Jihad. Um, I'm strong, too. Yeah. yeah, I'll admit, I got lucky because I didn't bring any ECM. I only had like three flak in my entire list. So the folks that I played against were, I don't know how I would have done against a, uh, a C3I list. But just something I was kind of wondering with uh, Wolfnet kind of going to era specific events, if you really see, you know, a real buy-in into the, like moving into the new tech of each era, or is it still like mostly like, 
basically clan invasion and and, and behind that that you see a lot of the lists in or do you see a lot of the new tech so and in alpha strike it's a little bit different because it's more just a lot of stuff gets combined into the numbers whereas in classic you you might have different tech that kind of shows up a little bit more but yeah that's why i was that's why i was asking about the kind of the list diversity in jihad yeah I will- yeah i think people um you know there's always your your few people who want to play uh the the angel mix from Wob or, or C3I stuff, but I think most people do it because of the style of the mix and not for yeah. C3I, even though it is really good. Um, I will say probably like FedCom on, um, you, there's just like a more like a, a greater preponderance of like um, ECM and like flak because there's more LBXs and the clans get uh, hyper assault Gauss rifles mm-hmm. or whatever the heck they're called. So like you know you'll just have like a unit that you're gonna pick anyways, and then you look at the unit special and it has like flak three three three, and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, um, but I do like the era locked. Uh, I think that's good for the health of the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, starting with like the errata stuff, right? The big one being the infantry. Now, um, when they disembark, move half of their listed movement and still gain their TMM and any modifiers uh, makes them a good deal more uh, dangerous. And I was curious, too, because in bunkers, that extra movement from the infantry can be huge because then they can more easily infiltrate the bunkers. Uh, What was your guys' kind of takeaways from uh, using infantry or playing against infantry uh, at the tournament? Uh, Charles used them against me on the second uh, game, and he really... He dropped uh, two battle armor from his VTOLs that I should have shot down earlier um, in the backs of my urban mechs uh, and was able to use that that movement from the VTOL to get them around to the back so that they couldn't get shot at by the, the oh, urban mechs themselves. Um, that was the, really the only like hot drop I had to deal with. And then I never actually took the only unit in my list that didn't make it onto the table was uh, my one battle armor that was actually meant to kill things instead of the one that was supposed to take some hits for me oh yeah your sombreros yeah the loki's hat mm-hmm. forgot about those guys so i brought obviously i brought infantry and it was halfway effective obviously against rick not so much because i didn't have a bunker to put them into and then they got stepped on but in game one against greg uh he brought a, an annihilator and I surrounded the Annihilator with all four infantry, and they just started ripping that Annihilator apart. Wait, you did the thing that you well, were he, fearing would happen to you? He had already <laughs> backed up to the to the edge when I dumped all the infantry on him. And it's an Annihilator, so it's TMM0 anyway. So, I mean, it, it, I didn't feel bad about it. You played against two Annihilators? Because, no, just one. I thought Braden had one. Maybe it was Braden's Annihilator. Yeah, it was Braden's Annihilator. Not okay. not Greg's. Cool. Braden brought the Annihilator. And uh, yeah, so at the end of the game, it, the uh, the infantry were just tearing it apart. And then the tanks finally got there and finished the job. Brutal. Um, so, I mean, it was nice having that extra one inch of movement once I dropped them off. Uh, but when you had four, four infantry piling out of two Pegasuses, it really didn't matter. Yeah, they just dumped flamers onto the annihilator and shot it. So yeah, I think he killed two of my infantry, but then the Pegasus just moved in and took their place. 
I think the the rules change really favors battle armor over conventional infantry. Uh, it really lets them they can move farther generally, except for jump infantry maybe. But you can't even use jump movement. So uh, we had that discussion on the forums afterwards. Uh, but yeah, the battle armor can like use their movement, get to something. They make easier anti mech attacks than conventional infantry. Um, they can really really be nasty. Yeah, I agree. Battle armor seem a lot more worthwhile than conventional infantry for a lot of different reasons. I mean, they're faster, uh, they're harder to hit, they're more effective in anti-mech, and they're more likely... uh, I mean, I think standard infantry can't get mechanized or ex-mech specials, right? No. So battle armor just almost universally more... uh, But they cost half the price. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, but then they're they're hitting anti-mechs on a plus three instead of a plus one. Yep, um, and I made that mistake on I think the first game, second game, when you corrected me about it. That's when I was like, "Oh crap, I did that wrong." Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so to dive into it a little bit, why why do you think that change was made? What what is your guys' thoughts on why that was a I don't know if necessary is the word for it, but but uh, a, a change that was put out. I think it makes sense. I think NC Kestrel's been real frustrated with uh, the rules he inherited and wanted to rewrite the entire transportation section for a while now. Um, which he didn't rewrite the whole thing, but he, he just made it all make more sense and, uh, and be more understandable than it used to be. I will say also, I really did like the change where uh, infantry and base-to-base contact can still shoot. Yeah, I mean, I think the changes I thought that was a, are a huge win. I thought it was a really great change. Um, they act more... I guess, like how they do in your mind, how you would picture them. Um, mm-hmm. They got they received huge buffs, though. I mean, like that extra movement is huge, and that extra TMM is huge um, because yeah, if you get in TMM on the dismount, that that's great, especially for bunkers. Yeah. Uh, it didn't come up in our game, but you know, before you dump your infantry, and at best you can hope to hide behind the uh, thing you got dumped out of, right, and then. They just get nuked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. You'd have battle armor and stealth. That's plus two. And then you'd use the partial cover for a plus three. So plus five total. But now with the TMM and the partial cover, you know, you can drop elementals behind a Viper and they're impossible to hit, um, which is kind of nuts. Um, so that might yeah, need to I, be I agree. looked I agree at what, competitively. Uh, saying, but thematically, know, it's great. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's more of what you would think. You know, they're moving, so they should get that, that kind of modifier. But... It, to me, it was interesting that this happened because, you know, like right after LVO last year, we had them kind of get nerfed, and now, now they're kind of getting like rebuffed. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of seeing. I don't even know I call it nerf. The, they just the got development fixed. teams kind of making fine tuning and adjusting what they want infantry to be. Um, yeah, post LVO, they just got a points change for some of the slow, heavy damage. Yeah, the uh, the assault battle armor got a points increase. Yeah. Yeah. Which they, they should have because they were ridiculously efficient. You could just carry like a 3 3 damage profile turret on your back and then just drop it down wherever you wanted, pretty much. Right. I do feel like this change uh, really, yeah, obviously it's a buff to battle armor, but I feel like uh, things like elementals that aren't the best of all battle armor uh, really benefit from them. It, like, I feel good taking battle armor for or, uh, an elemental for 20 points or whatever. If I can move it onto something, get my TMM and uh, yeah. anti-mech it. Yep. And for your listeners, this is kind of like a weird thing. Elementals uh, are jump infantry or jump battle armor. Uh, and they can only jump 
when disembarking from Omni vehicles. Is that right, Rick? Yeah, that's right. So anything getting out of um, a IT type transport with an IT number uh, cannot use jump movement getting out. But my VTOL infantry can still use VTOL movement. <laughs> so that's that weird. And you can shoot at it with flak. Also true. Oh, that's another thing that came up. Uh, it was a question. Um, sprinting infantry. Uh, this is something I got wrong. My, um, but when a infantry unit with a jump value sprints, it uses that base number and times it by one and a half, just like any other sprinting. But it, it's not combined with jumping. So you would just use your flat TMM value. Nope. And then. Uh, a separate note would be VTOL infantry can only ever use VTOL movement. So if they land, they can't move at all. They don't walk. Which is silly, but, you know, not worth uh, erratic, I guess. Uh, any other notes about infantry before we move on to pre-placed terrain? I'd say I'm pretty happy overall with the infantry changes. My one gripe, however, will still remain that mechs cannot move through infantry bases like they can in classic because we all know alpha strike is a derivative of classic tiny little dudes shouldn't be able to box in a you know an annihilator Annihilator. (laughs) yeah agreed um it that shouldn't be a thing they should be able to move through it now I, i get the stacking thing you can't overlap but if i've got the uh mv the movement available to move completely through the base then they absolutely should. Um, so overall, I'm happy with the infantry adjustments. With that one yeah. gripe, uh, that needs to be put back in, in my opinion. I would like that. I think that thematically be another win. And for the listeners who aren't familiar, basically um, a unit carrying infantry, like uh, David's uh, trooper version of the Pegasus, can move into base-to-base contact with a mini, disembark its infantry units and so long as those infantry units are able to touch base to base um, that target mini on the opposite corners so if you're touching at least three of the base sides um, three of the opposite base sides of a target unit you lock it in place because a unit when it travels has to have clearance equal to the width of its base um, so and the width of the base cannot right. go through a single uh, and you would see this like be applicable for certain high speed, really annoying units like a dasher or a fireball, which can normally move extremely fast. But yeah. if you are first in the activation order, you can get a, a, a personnel carrier and base to base and then lock it in place. And it won't be able to move that turn. It won't be able to earn its TMM. And then you're just, you know, effectively removing um, a really annoying piece. So, yeah, it's, it's especially dangerous to those uh, dasher type things that want to wait till the end of the initiative anyway to try to get a back arc shot that the they can't get shot back in. So if you can catch one of those, yeah, it, it just counterplays them really, really nationally. With the dasher argument, I will be devil's advocate to my own argument, and that's especially when it's specifically coming to the Wolfnet thing and their tournament setup. You exchange the overall list beforehand, that's where it comes down to knowing what your opponent has and making that assessment on what they will bring. Um, so maybe, given the current rule set, that they can block in a dasher, maybe don't save it for last. 
but that's a gamble you need to make as a commander. I still think 100% that mech should walk through <laughs> infantry bases, yeah. but yeah. just saying. Well, it's um, another answer to those high TMM, very mobile units, uh, where before pretty much the only answer was artillery, either off-board, which hit on eights, or on board, which uh, I think Rick hits on sixes, right? If it's tagged, stationary, skill two shooter. And yeah. confirmed. So those were basically like that's the, right, yeah. kind of like the rock and paper kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, versions. Um, obviously, dashers and fireballs have a much higher, like, uh, damage ceiling if they don't die. Because they're, you know, doing six damage into your butt every turn. Whereas an artillery hitting on six is going to do two damage, two damage, two damage. You know, so it's kind of like burst damage versus chip damage. And it's just player preference. Um, yeah, overall, I've never been super happy with how my artillery performs. Like, it, They occasionally get really clutch shots on dashers, but a lot of times they just miss. Yeah, I mean, an artillery that kills a dasher pays for itself immediately. You know? For sure. And I think the only dashers I've ever killed are yours, John. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think? Oh. Well, besides Rick, did anybody else take artillery? That's Desgrudged it, David. Hmm? I said that's Desgrudged. Well, uh, do that here. Rick, what did you think of the new artillery mechanic? Oh, yeah, the artillery did change. We have artillery the margin changed? of failure now. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, that was a, a shower thought that I had and posted in the Wolfnet Discord, and then Kestrel was like, oh, I thought that was that way already. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and I think in our game, John, I took a shot with my spotter and uh I, like i chose to shoot and ta- and spot with him at the same time and uh i think i missed by like two i think um so my margin of failure was two so my my drift was four inches and if i just not shot that shot it would have only drifted one inch and actually still hit something correct uh, or two inches i guess but exactly right yeah. still would have hit so yeah i i learned I learned that uh, really trying to get the best shot possible is actually great for artillery now. Yeah, I think that's another like thematic win where like it just works. Like it feels like your um, the decisions you make actually have more impact on where the artillery goes now. Is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because like before you could have like a skill zero artillery, and if you don't hit your target number, it's still going to go some random distance in some random direction. And now you know the the more highly skilled and trained artilleryman is going to be more accurate more often. Yep. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, uh, whoever circled us around the, the artillery change. David! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, so then, is there anything else from the errata that you guys want to discuss before we move on to pre-place terrain? Uh, Narc and tag. I think oh, tag yep. with, LR, with uh, indirect fire is interesting, but it didn't it wasn't super effective for me. Um, and I think it could have been better. Yeah, the tag but change then, was kind of... I, I don't fully understand. The narc change was a huge buff where it takes place instantaneously, which is really cool. Yeah, for it's sure. Garbage. Uh, indirect fire has never been great for me, and I don't think it's great now even with tag uh, as a spotting option, but it was okay. I really only have myself to blame for not bringing ECM, so... Yeah, that's true. Well, it wouldn't would, help you with tag anyway, right? But wouldn't help with tag, but at least your narc, stupid narc beacons wouldn't have been on everything. <laughs> I only narked the one manticore. That was three people you killed. Three, you monster. <laughs> Just take uh, more AMS, man. That's always the answer. More AMS. Yeah, I, I do. I'm not sure if everyone, if uh, 
all my opponents for tracking their own AMS or not, but definitely AMS is great. Yeah. AMS has saved my ass so many times. I think I totally forgot about it on the one game I played where I brought the Bushwhacker. The only reason I did so good at Copo was because of AMS. Like, out of all my mechs, only one didn't have it. And there was a lot of, you know, missile specials out there. And I contribute my, what was it, third place, second place? I think it was third, uh, to AMS, 100%. I, I just wish AMS didn't have the, it still allows the minimum of one to get through. Because then it, it diminishes its value when I see that. I wish it was something that that kind yeah, of that makes kind of related sense. to like the special number, like it would be like you know the special minus one or whatever, and then just leave it. So if it was like LRM one one one, and you just minus one and you get you get the zero or something like that, instead of like they can still get one damage through no matter if you have AMS or not. So yeah, because if like what the 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 missile specials of one, that's essentially like what an LRM five. Or you know a small a SRM something it's like LRM that. LRM ten. Yeah, and zero zero star is going to be your LRM yeah. five. E- either way, um, being able to, you know, sh- you know the AMS is shooting from however far out, and it's I'm okay with it because in I, in Alpha Strike, I, AMS I'm with Matt. isn't using ammo. It's not creating heat. You know, there's no chance that you can. Well, actually, that's not true. If you have AMS, you can still get ammo exploded in Alpha Strike, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I took a grasshopper with AMS once instead of one with E and E, and instantly reloaded that. Boom! boom. (laughs) Although I guess it does kind of also make sense that, like, if you're taking, like you said, zero star was an LRM five, so that's what an LRM five, and then a small laser. The 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 laser connects. And does some damage, but the missiles do enough to bring it up to the one yeah. point. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent now. And you got to think that you know the the standard rule is full damage and not uh, uh, multiple attack rolls. Even though everyone here plays multiple yeah. attack rolls. Um, what well, isn't Mar the standard now? Is no, or did, not in not is like not, Mars. Mars is now not vanilla. In ASC, no. Still an optional yeah, rule still that everyone plays. But it should be honestly. Alpha Strike oh, okay. about Mar sounds awful. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Well, I mean, I it's see great the for when I play with the kiddo. If you're playing a large, like, battalion on battalion game, the standard alpha strike damage makes sense. Yeah. I would, yeah, if you're trying to get through, like, a huge game quickly. But. I would like to see, like, rules developed for unit activation and also unit attacks, where, like, you just attack once. Like, you just have one damage roll for a lance. That's that's called uh, Battle Force. I think that's yeah, Battle that's Force. That's what that is. That's a whole other <laughs> <Yeah>. game. <laughs> um, um, cool. Um, but yeah, Snark, Tag, Good Catches. Um, anything else before we move on? Nope. Okay, cool. So normally in the WolfNet rule system, um, there's 10 to 15 minutes given to players to set up terrain. Uh, you have basically two turn zero uh, initiative rolls. The very first one you do, uh, the winner chooses to either place the first piece of terrain or to automatically win initiative going into turn one. Now, the terrain, uh, 10 pieces are placed and players alternate placing them. Uh, and it can have a really, really big effect on how a game goes, especially the placement of hills um, can really drastically change sight lines on the table. and um, 
my experience is it's been one thing that really separates experienced from newer players is that newer players don't I don't believe fully understand the consequences of where they're placing their terrain sometimes. And it can create a, a really large imbalance just in turn zero before the game begins. And then the second die roll in turn zero is your uh, deployment order, which is when you just alternate placing minis. And then you go into turn one. So for this tournament, I uh, chose to replace those rules and I set up terrain uh, for the entire tournament, all the tables in advance. And then when players get to their table, that turn zero uh, roll instead becomes the winner chooses to uh, win turn one initiative, same as before, or they choose which of their board edges will become their friendly board edge. Whichever option they don't choose, their opponent automatically uh, gains the other benefit. And then you have your turn zero deployment. Uh, initiative phase, the same as the WolfNet rules as written. Um, and doing so, the goal was to speed up play, have more thematic tables where the terrain was a little bit more coherent, I guess I'd say, and visually appealing, and then create less uh, room for abuse where basically a veteran player and, and a new player are, you know, that veteran player is going to have even more of an advantage going in. Um, of those three goals, I think that the time part succeeded. You know, we saved a lot of time by not having to adjust terrain every single round. Um, the, uh, visuals I think were good. Um, and then the play balance I'm kind of mixed on because, you know, some players love to replace terrain. Other players were like, you know, I really felt like I kind of got caught out because my list wasn't you know didn't have the tools i guess to best make use of this terrain if that makes sense um but but that's my kind of perspective as the person who put it out uh, i'm interested to hear what you guys have to say as the players so i'd agree the uh i i think i definitely was able to take advantage of terrain especially if i played on a board twice uh, a little a little more than my opponent uh I think also having a small printout for the specialty terrain that you had saying what you can and can't shoot through or what blocks line of sight and what doesn't would have been helpful. Yeah. I mean, I've played on the same boards twice, like I said, um, and I, I played on the same side both times too. And, uh, I found myself, uh, if I won the role or if I was choosing my side or whatever, usually just choosing where I'd already had my stuff. Uh, so I didn't have to, I could be lazy and not have to move it. Um, we did run into one problem. I think Charles and I ran into a problem when we were playing Domination, um, where a large crystal structure uh, train piece was um, over the top of both of my home Domination points. Um, so we decided amongst ourselves to like rotate those pieces of terrain until we could fit the domination point in there. Um, so just being more aware of where those points can be uh, when you're setting stuff up would be useful. But I think, I think overall it worked pretty well. And if, because you know, it was kind of a surprise to us, like the night before that train was going to be pre placed. I wasn't really uh, worried about it one way or another, but I guess if somebody had a list that, 
needed to place their own terrain, then maybe just let them know ahead of time that that's how it was going to be played would uh, quell their their problems with it. So although I, I didn't play, um, we did this uh, a very our Remember Russell Hog event about a year ago. Um, well, I don't even know when it was. Uh, but we, uh, Alex and I, preset the, the maps. We also preset the uh, scenario for each of each of the maps so basically people would move between different ones and whatever one you landed on whatever map you landed on you played the scenario that was already set up there so that was a difference there but i really liked it because we we did like a little sheet giving each map kind of its own little narrative like oh this is this city and you know you guys are fighting over this particular objective and it wasn't just like some flat you know wolf net objective it was like you're fighting over this building or you're fighting over these supplies or things like that so i i really enjoy kind of adding the narrative back in even within the tournament setting so i'm 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 a full proponent of doing something like that i like it too because i i agree with you john it it does limit the if you've played wolf net a couple of times you know where you need to put the terrain and you know your list and you know like for me i i didn't read that it was going to be pre-play so i was already planning like okay if i need to move my tanks my tanks can only move six to eight inches then i need to put my first piece of terrain six inches away so that i can get cover and then put another one so that they could move from cover to cover as they moved up the board instead i just had to fight out in the open and then i just rolled them up as a murder ball down the middle of the map and i think uh you know what you said about the the ability of a veteran player to um, win and essentially win in turn zero by placing terrain better than a, an opponent. You know, people have played Wolfnet a lot, uh, particularly games like King of the Hill. It's real important to block uh, your opponent's ability to entry enter the the hill and get line of sight to it from uh, like close short range. So you almost always see some sort of double stacked hill uh between you and the the hill itself oh yeah that would have crushed me on on king of the hill but i had a in in the game i played i had a straight line of sight and straight path straight into the middle so yeah and uh and john in my game you know there's a lot of open space in the middle uh i think that was true for most of the boards again i only saw two so or I only remember two, but yeah, I think I really liked the priest place terrain. Um, it took a lot of the mental energy of playing in a tournament off of my plate as well, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, those between bunkers and terrain placement, those are like the most mental energy I'll take. I'll use uh, during <laughs> a Wolfnet game, um, and the rest of it is just you know playing Alpha Strike and having fun. Oh, I'll, I'll I've already talked about it, but a little bit, but I'll also throw out that. If I think about it like in, in the Battletech universe, you show up to a planet, you've got your dropships, your drop, you know, whatever. You have your forces there, sure. But you don't get to pick and choose the geography of the place. I mean, you're there. The geography is already set. You adapt what forces you put out on the field. Not you don't get to pick and choose where this canyon is and that. You know, so to me, it makes total narrative sense, even, even just in like you show up to a battle with your forces and adapt to the terrain. Yeah, I'm there with you, Matt. Um, this is, so that, I mean, I didn't play in this event, obviously, but this would be the second Colorado event that had pre-placed terrain. And I really liked the pre-placed terrain that you did at Copo. Um, 
especially from that narrative aspect. And my same argument was right there in line with you, whereas when you show up to a planet, you don't get to build your battlefield. It's, it is what it is. Um, so I, I like, I really like the role for board edge, but the TO placing, pre-placing terrain. Um, and I know, so like at, LVO, uh, the Wolfnet guys had planet-themed terrain that uh, so like the snow or the rubble or whatever uh, based on whichever planet uh, and that was awesome. So I think for like premier Wolfnet tournaments, I would like to see those two avenues uh, meld into one where you've got the thematic terrain, but it's also pre-placed. Um, because that makes 100% perfect sense in my mind. And it looks better. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> it looks, it looks mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and it, it does save time. I, I understand the game within a game. I, I get like keeping that part of the rule set for like quick pickup 350 games that makes perfect sense but for an actual like premier tournament at a con or whatever um i think it makes more sense and is less strain on everyone to have pre-placed thematic terrain so if those two things could get together and become a thing like i would be so happy i think we just i mean i like it i like it for our events here in colorado so i'm i'm a fan of keeping that theme going oh 100 i think there's a there's room for a mix too where you have like maybe just the hills or buildings are pre-placed like the line of sight blockers but each uh each player gets to place like two tree secondary terrain yeah uh yeah i i like it a lot Uh, i really like that it uh takes some mental effort off of me as a player uh, and I think you guys used it in your Battlefronts. Uh, yeah, Matt and I did. Well, yeah, we have had well. some of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it worked right there, too. But yeah, it, and it still goes in line with what was it? I forget who said it. Um, but even at Premier Tournaments, so like at LVO, right? We had brand new people playing in a tournament, at a Premier Tournament, uh, which is awesome. But if they're not spun up on the the mini game of terrain that sucks for them like well, a lot like well, it's honestly interesting too because uh, the wolfnet rules and it negates that have, like in my opinion like some x-wing influence like it's clear to me that like at least some of the guys that made it came from playing x-wing Aaron. where x-wing you have like six Aaron. obstacles <laughs> and you place it at the beginning of the game um but x-wing it's six obstacles and it takes you just a handful of minutes and it's you know the obstacles you have to pick from, I think there's like maybe 20 to 30 total. And for a lot of players, it just becomes something that like it's rote. Whereas <clears throat> in the Wolfnet system, you have eight scenarios. The terrain is going to be different for each table. It, it is a lot more taxing. So, you know, I um, think it helps a lot the speed and the attractiveness of tables. Um, but I do need to iterate and make some adjustments um, you know, I think I had common feedback that like a lot of the tables were pretty open in the middle. So there were some tables that were pretty bloody. I mean, we look at our MOV and we had some pretty bloody. Yeah, I games. think there were there, um, uh, a lot of them were pretty open. I think a lot of them were 
pretty symmetrical, so it didn't really matter which side you picked. Um, so as far as the initiative and pick your side role, um, you know, I wasn't really worried if I won or lost those either way. Like first round initiative doesn't really matter very often unless it's one of those uh, sudden death take all the points. Yeah, I, I don't know. Some of them it matters so much. Like CTF kind of is King with capture the flag. So, so I mean, King of the Hill because everything was wide open. I think it would have mattered more if we were placing our own train because we would block things off and you could have prevented getting shot while in the yeah. the hill. But you know, in our own game, we both ran into the the hill on turn one, and we both shot each other up yeah. turn one. You just managed to kill my stuff, and I didn't manage to kill your stuff. Well, you killed some stuff, just not the right, not all the stuff. Yeah, yeah not the thing um, that took the point. Right. Um, yeah, and another advantage, too, of having T.O. place terrain is that um, some of the tables, too, you'll see, like, hills are touching uh, woods. Or, like, there'll be, like, a giant river feeding into a lake. And, like, that wouldn't happen in the Wolfnet rules as they are. So I do like that... Um, for the sum tables were less symmetrical and like the woods woods are prohibited terrain for you know hover vehicles and, and at least in the wolf nest system they're pretty common to see hover vehicles because they're so fast and they're really good objective pieces so if you choose the side you know if your opponent chooses the side of the table that's more open and then you're stuck on the side of the table where your hover vehicles can only approach up the middle or the right like the left side is just completely prohibited to them yeah it's that's fair big. because i only played on the two tables i will say um when I played Charles, I, I was on the crystal, big green crystal table with the yeah. volcano in the middle yeah. and the the water out the side of the volcano, kind of separating uh, my side of the board from his side. There's slightly more room on his side. So when we're playing domination, he was able to get to the center objective. And I actually had to wade my charger through the river, <laughs> spend a turn in the river getting shot, and then get into the objective to start punching his light mechs. Um, so that was pretty annoying. And I definitely would not have done that if, uh, if I had been setting it up myself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things in terms of fine tuning. Um, I, I need to go back and look at like the, uh, infinity, the game, uh, forums. Cause like in that game terrain is so, so hugely important that like there were like threads and posts and articles about like terrain setup. uh, you know, and trying to kind of get that right balance. Um, but kind of in, in my mind's eye, how I view it going forward, tables will fall into the broad categories. Uh, terrain density being light, moderate, or heavy. Um, and then likewise, giving like a one to three value in terms of asymmetry. So symmetrical, slightly asymmetric, very asymmetric. So you can create a lot of different tables. Um, just with those six factors. And then uh, on my part as the TO, I need to um, keep track of what tables players are on and wherever possible pairings will be on tables that are new to them. Because, you know, if you're going to go through the trouble of setting these tables up, making them look nice, you should also go through the trouble of making sure your players actually get to enjoy them. So th those um, right now are my big takeaways and what I'm going to be working on going into the future. Did we ever uh, look into, because I know we were talking about this after the game or after the tournament, did we ever look into Cryodex and see if you can add that extra data point column for which table? I am not because I'm a caveman. I don't think you can, no. Like you can go back and look okay. at the previous rounds because Cryodex doesn't actually assign you a table. It right, just it assigns just an opponent. 
Yeah, it assigns pairs. It would be up to the TO to take that extra little bit to see if they were on the same table or not and yeah, change it if up. You use, if you use the the row number in Crowdex for the table number, then you could correlate, but otherwise there's nothing in Crowdex where you can add data points. Oh, and, and the other catch is, of course, um, to have like the objective zones be clear of terrain. Yeah. Because the night of and the morning prior, I was kind of just eyeballing it. And in some cases, you know, tables had to be adjusted. Usually for like those corner ones, it's like eight inches in, eight inches in from either uh, side. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what we had to adjust for. Yeah, or if you just, I mean, smartly place hills so that, you know, a a bunker could fit perfectly on top of it. I mean, smartly Um, anything for me is a big ask. I'm... I'm not. I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just saying. I think uh, Charles has a really good diagram of all of the objectives uh, overlaid on top of each other on a single. Oh yeah. Like Wolfnet size template. Okay. Um, so you can see where everything, all the objectives. Yeah, Charles has worked out kind of a template. Yeah, I mean, they, they all line up pretty well. Yeah. I'll. I'll have to. Well, I mean, if you just lay down the king of the hill and the four outer objectives, yeah. you'll cover everything. Well, almost everything. Except maybe DTF. the uh, capture yeah. the flag. Um, capture the flag in the center of hold the line. Yes, that it's is basically perfect. like nine templates, right? Uh, in terms of like where, yeah, nine zones where objectives could be: three on your friendly board edge, yeah. three in the neutral zone, three on the enemy board edge. Yeah, um, so that's, that's a good point. So if you are going to do preset terrain, um, I think it behooves you to know what scenarios you're going to play and set up your tables accordingly. I hate that word. Behoove. Well, the last, uh, <laughs> the last tournament. Let me caveat that, that. I think it was the December tournament. We actually pre-selected the, the games the night before. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's fine, too. It's another thing that speeds up the tournament. Um, so, yeah. Uh, for all our listeners and um, the tournament organizer types, our, our takeaways, I think, broadly would be, you know, um, uh, before the tournament, making the fine adjustments to make sure that your terrain doesn't conflict with objectives. Um, Varying the terrain in terms of terrain density and how much it favors one side or the other. And then uh, if there's any special terrain, uh, making sure that there's a note or graphic for the players to reference um, so that everyone's on the same page, things are fully transparent during the game. Um... And then using kind of the extra freedom that you as a TO have in setting up the tables to make them more attractive and do things a little bit different. Um, have woods touch hills. You know, that's not something that can happen in the rules as they're written. So, you know, you get to experiment a little bit more and have fun with it. Um, I think, broadly speaking, those are things I learned from the tournament. Um, I'll probably coordinate with Charles and I'll be writing my, on my own kind of putting out like maybe a written document that I can refer to and others can refer to to kind of help out. Um, because that was terrain was such a huge, huge part of infinity, the game and with the objectives in alpha strike, um, they're a huge part here too. So spending the time to kind of analyze and put forth kind of templates and kind of suggestions, I think will help a lot, uh, in raising the value, uh, of like, I guess, entertainment in games and consistency, you know, you, um, I think that's what we're all looking to achieve, right? As players and tournament organizers, we're all looking to have as much fun as we can in the time that we have. And, uh, yeah, 
and that's exactly. what it's about. So, you know, we're all on the same page. It really helps us a lot. Um, I, I do want to say before we get to the shout outs, a huge thanks um, to the people who both helped me set up the terrain prior to the event and the people who um, helped me take everything down afterwards. Um, ben, Greg W, David, Charles, Max, uh, L, you know, all you guys are huge help. So I really appreciate it. And um, I had a lot of fun hosting the tournament and I hope everyone had a lot of fun playing. So I really appreciate you guys coming out. Um, we yeah, I had a great time. It reminded me a lot of uh, old X-Wing store championships. It's the best, man. I, I, I loved X-Wing so much. That game dying it was a really hard pill to swallow. Like they, they still play. Um, but they have like store champs this season and like they're getting like 12 players to a store champ. It's just like that, that hurts for reference. In, in, yeah. Once they, once they swapped over to 2.0 that they lost most of their, audience, I, think. I, I think no COVID no. really did it. Yeah, man. yeah it was good for sure. in 2018 to Denver system open was 172 players. It was huge, huge tournament. Um, I'd love to see Battletech get up there. I think there's a potential for it. Um, there's no shortage of nerds and it's, a pretty clean objective uh, based tournament system. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to iterate, but I'd love to see it grow. Yeah. Battletech's ripe, ripe for an <laughs> right. official tournament setting. Yeah. It's right. Way more money. If we're going to host 170 per- person tournament, that's a lot of terrain. Yeah. That is a, yeah. a good point. A lot of space. That's when you get the stores to buy in yeah. and uh, they start buying up Thunderhead stuff because, he is cranking out some good shit. Yeah, and the pre. Yeah, shout out to Thunder. I found uh, some really good terrain. I think we're getting off topic. We are. Good terrain, but uh, yeah. Um, Death Ray Designs is doing some MDF uh, buildings that look great. Mm, I'm more into the MILFs. My preferred. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not familiar with those. What What are those, John? Uh, you'd have to look it up. Go, Roger that. Urban Dictionary. No. Uh, yeah. Not even Urban Dictionary, bro. Just Google. Yeah. <laughs> Might be in Webster's by now. <laughs> Just don't Google it at work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I believe that's a pretty comprehensive recap of the tournament we had here. Um, any final notes from you guys, or do you guys want to start wrapping this thing Headshots up? Headshots are bad, okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great. Um, I think we got we did what we came out here to do. You guys want to do any shout outs here in our little mid month special? Sure. Um, I covered everyone who helped me with terrain. Uh, another shout out to uh, Hobbytown Westminster for being our uh, hosts. Uh, they're a really nice little store up in Westminster, which is just northwest of Denver itself. And a shout out to Matt and Jeremy and Brian and the rest of the staff there. They're just really helpful guys. Uh, David, who are you shouting out to? Uh, my shout out goes out to Braden for being a really good sport about taking a really bad break in uh, in our game. So I'm sorry about your phantom, but you took it like a champ. Sorry, not sorry. There, there, now, Braden's it was super solid. Dude. It was the roll of the dice, man. Yeah, it the dice be like that sometimes. There was man. nothing I could do about it. It was 12s, and then I rolled another 12. It was like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I've I've been on the receiving end before, not not from you particularly, but I, it sucks. But I mean, that's the dice, and that's war, you know. So yep, it happens. How about you, Rick? Uh, I will shout out you, John Caveman Ungabunga, because you put on a great tournament, and uh, I had a great time. I also want to shout out uh, Ben K, the 
other Ben K, not Bourbon. <laughs> not Bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for being another Ben K. And first tournament, I think it was like yeah, his, it was his first tournament. third, if that, Alpha yeah. Strike game. Because I was, in our game, I was like teaching him stuff and showing him things he could do. And, you know, showing up to a tournament, barely, barely playing the game and having a good time. Uh, I hope he had a good time. But uh, yeah, shout out to you, Ben K. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, at the end of the game, he asked me when's the next one. I was like, that's a good question. <laughs> September. <laughs> uh, and Matt, you briefly were there. Do you have any shout outs? I was briefly there and enjoyed seeing everyone again. It's been uh, it's been a little while. So yeah, thanks for uh, keeping it keeping it rolling there, uh, everyone there at Hobby Town. Enjoyed that. I'm actually going to shout out. Uh, the two people that I have played most recently, the only people that I could bring with me on the move, my two sons, William and Alex, they are in-house players and they have to play with me and I force it. So there you go. <laughs> Good for them. And now he's going to have to force them to like, listen. No, nope, they have no so. choice. If they want dinner, they have to play battle. Straight up. <laughs> and Mike, do you have any shout outs? <laughs> Well, I guess spur of the moment shout out Rick for being a good steward of the game. Um, you knew you were place, you know, facing a relatively newer player, and, and you taught him. Uh, you didn't take it easy per se, but you also didn't steamroll the guy. Uh, so shout out on that. Um, and then uh, shout out for me would be uh, the the Mister TikTok BattleTech guy. Uh, he does live things on TikTok where people that join his live stream uh, can take control of a mech. And I did that on July 9th and didn't intend on doing that the entire night at all, but I did. Uh, I ended up taking control of a Crusader, a Kelhound's Crusader, fighting some Crescent Hawks. Um, And it it was actually a good time. That sounds pretty cool. Um, And the people that I played with, uh, I mean... Mr. Mr. TikTok Battletech obviously moved all the, the units around and everything because it's definitely decentralized because <laughs> it's over a live stream. But um, the Unrivaled Souls, um, who else was there? Robert, uh, Captain Gunzo, uh, the Super Nerd. Um, some of those individuals were on my team. Some of those were not. And there were others that I didn't get screenshots of their username. Uh, but it was actually a lot of fun on a TikTok live stream, which I, that's a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> but So shout out to all those folks and that individual and Rick for being a great steward of the game. Nice. Uh, that's me. Cool. Well, that covers it then. Um, Thanks, Bam. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, for our locals, uh, this mid-month episode, we really kind of keep it stripped back to the essentials. Um, but uh, since we are talking about tournaments, um, future events would be Tacticon. Uh, there, to my knowledge, is not going to be an Alpha Strike tournament there. I think that's going to be more kind of like narrative games and you know con games where it goes a little bit longer and just shoot the breeze. Uh, and in, in September, we have our uh, Battle for the Sphere, run by the illustrious David. And uh, that's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun. And then either in September or October, uh, I'm working with Zach S. Uh, out of Aurora to run another WolfNet tournament, very similar to what we had in Hobbytown. Uh, this time, just over in Aurora. Again, the whole goal is get the community together, 
have fun, and by having these events in big you know, stores, other people get to come see us have fun, and we start drawing in more players, and we help grow the community. Um, that's what it's all about. So thank you again for listening, um, and I hope you have a great night. Last call. Last call. Get out. Thanks for joining us today in the Valhalla Club. Special thanks to our sponsor, Ares Games and Miniatures. Ares is the premier online retailer for all your Battletech needs. You can contact us at the Valhalla Club at Outlook.com. If you are in Colorado, please join your local community group on Facebook and Discord. If you are able to help support your local Colorado Battletech community, subscribe on Patreon to Colorado Battletech. This Patreon account is used to supply prize support for local events and assist in venue costs. Links for the Valhalla Club Discord, the Colorado Battletech Patreon, and Facebook group are in the show notes. Until next time, mech fans. No one has responded to anything I've said so far. Yeah, I mean, I try not to respond to you, Rick. Okay. What? It's gross. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same way I don't make eye contact with people on the corner of the street. It's that long, that prolonged eye contact that really matters. Yeah. Uh, and Mike, I guess I have to apologize for however many cat sounds you have to edit out of this fucking recording. Oh, uh, they're, they're probably just going to end up staying. I didn't hear any of Dave's soundboard because I muted his Maybe soundboard. I should have shouted out to Cooper, my cat, then, I guess. Cooper the cat. Yeah.